1: Money Talks on MTU Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Nancy Lotter anderson Associate Professor of Finance at Mississippi College and President of New Perspectives, and Chris Burford, Credit Counselor and Educator for Clearpoint Credit Counseling Solutions. This year, tax season's deadline day is April 18th. So this morning, we welcome CPA J.R. Armstrong, a partner at May & Company in Vicksburg, to answer your tax questions. But we're also looking for your personal finance questions as we do each Tuesday. So give us a call if you have something that needs uh, answering. 1 8 877-MPB-RING is the phone number. It's one 672 7464 Send us an email, money at mpbonline.org. So good morning to everyone. Hope that you're all doing well.
2: Good morning. Good morning. Good
1: morning. Uh, Nancy, any financial news in the news?
2: Oh, my goodness. I'm trying not to look right now. Oh, let's just talk about the weather, Kevin, shall <laughs> <Okay>. we? Um, <laughs> markets were down yesterday. Um uh, they are down this morning. We're watching to see it's just um, reaction to uncertainty and instability right now.
1: As I mentioned, we're talking taxes today with our guest J.R. Armstrong, a CPA, a partner at May and Company in Vicksburg. And you know that J.R. is qualified. I, I see here in the notes uh, he studied at Mississippi State University. And Sam Wells, a well-known Ole Miss uh, supporter and fan, has actually invited you on the show. So J.R. That's R. amazing. That's amazing. I can
3: control his microphone volume. He, he's wearing a maroon shirt today too. For those of you listening, so fashion knows no uh what rivalry jr <laughs> <laughs> thanks for having me on, guys so if you uh, have a question this morning
1: give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring it's one eight seven seven. Six seven two seven four six four. You can send an email to money at mpbonline.org. So, Jr., we all know April is the deadline. When, when do, in your experience, a lot of people really start thinking about taxes, getting geared up, and start working on them?
3: Uh, you really end up with two um, very distinct groups. You have people that uh, are. Rip roaring, ready to go right now. Trying to get it filed as quickly as possible, especially if they've got a refund coming. Uh, uh, as H and R Block says, it's refund season, so uh, those guys are are trying to get in as quickly as possible. And then you have your procrastinators. Uh, That's me. To, uh, <laughs> perhaps oh, uh, or just uh, just don't really want to try to gather their stuff, and they tend to come in last week uh, of tax season, uh, if not the uh, at the very last day. And uh, CPAs love those people. I know. <laughs> Uh, yeah, do your CPA ever get in early.
2: Uh, Tell us about, uh, because we've talked before about the deadlines on the forms, and we had some discussion back and forth about differences in deadlines.
3: Uh, What can people expect as far as their paperwork coming through? Uh, Paperwork, right now, uh, we are still waiting on uh, the ability to to be able to electronically file tax returns. So if you bring your stuff in right now, we're going to prepare it to a point and probably sit on it for a little while. Some of the states are still not quite ready, even though the the federal government may be. But I think uh, here in the coming week, that's probably going to change, and we're probably gonna be able to start filing pretty quickly to get your refunds, and ordinarily about three weeks uh, from the time you file for, uh, if you get direct deposit. Uh, as far as, the, there have been some deadline changes, uh, not really affecting the individuals as much, but uh, partnerships are now due uh, in the uh, March 15th timeframe, whereas they were due uh, uh, later. Uh, they, they pulled that back and kind of condensed that deadline, but to allow you guys who get partnership K1s <laughs> to file your tax returns. Um, Bless you. Thank you. Sorry. <laughs> uh, but as far as uh, as far as your actual filing deadlines, not a whole lot has changed. Now you will notice April fifteenth is typically the deadline. However, April eighteenth this year, you have another couple of days, which is uh, a, a double edged sword for a CPA. You you really like the extra time. You're working time. the weekend, right? Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. You you really love the time, but you really you know kind of hate <laughs> the, the time as well. Uh, but uh, uh, Washington D.C. they celebrate Emancipation Day, and it falls on April sixteenth. Well, the 16th happens to fall, I believe, on Saturday. Uh, So it is celebrated on Monday the 17th. So we get until Tuesday the 18th to file this year. So you procrastinators have another couple days to, (laughs) to kick the can down the road, if you will. So what about uh, things
1: like uh, W2s 1090 1099s uh, is it right. 10- yep. When do when should people start having access to those
3: You should have it today today is the is the day so uh, all all those uh, who are preparing those uh, today is a, is a, it's been a huge crescendo to this moment and uh, uh you should have access to it by the end of today uh, it is the deadline if it's if you don't it's a little late so you should be able to, at this point uh, once you get your W2 go ahead and get it in and uh, we'll we'll get get cranking on your tax return Mm -hmm. Uh, if someone chooses to file
1: on their own do you think that uh electronic filing is sort of the wave of the future is that what most people do you think are doing these days
3: we we try to electronically file everything humanly possible i try not to file any paper uh at at all uh for a variety of reasons one is there's an identity theft issue uh Mm -hmm. there uh, that's probably the most pressing issue that uh the irs is facing right now state governments uh and uh it's the top 10, uh, dirty dozen scam on the IRS list right now. Uh, so you try to electronically file for for that reason, and you tend to get your refunds quicker, and it's just cleaner uh, the, versus send it, having to send in paper and somebody's got to key your turn in when it gets to the IRS. So.
4: You know, I heard something about delay of refunds a couple of weeks. Maybe I'm wrong, but is it due to just verification of um, uh, of the filer and make sure that their, their funds are going to the right, proper, you know, to the proper person? Or-
3: great, great question. So what's happening or what has happened in the past is people have uh, acquired your social security number somehow by some means uh, and have filed a return in January before you even have your W-2, before you have the ability to file. Well, they get some fraudulent refund and they're off, you know, running spending it uh, at that point. Uh, so what the IRS and the state uh, and local authorities have done is exactly like you said, they have just stepped back and said, okay, we're going to just delay these things until we can verify. Now, it's, it's inconvenient on your on on the taxpayers' behalf, but it, they're doing everything they can to combat uh, this this issue that is just so pervasive right now.
1: This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. We're talking taxes this morning with uh, J.R. Armstrong, a CPA, a partner at May and Company in Vicksburg. So if you have a tax question, we've got an expert here to give you some advice. So give us a call. We've got the phone lines open. The number is one eight seven seven MPB Ring. It's one eight seven seven. Six seven two seven four six four. You can send an email to money at mpbonline.org. Um, so we talked a little bit about this last week, but what are some of the more common mistakes that people make when it comes to filing taxes?
3: Um. The second, number one is not doing it. Uh, <laughs> you, you see a fair amount oh, you of that. Have to? Uh, yeah. It, uh, the IRS really likes it when you file tax returns, and they get angry when you don't. So. Uh, but
2: there is a, isn't there, a rule about people who don't have to file if if you're below a certain
3: income? That's correct. There are thresholds that uh, if if you don't earn a certain amount of of taxable income. So what are those? Uh, well, gr- great question, and it kind of depends. Uh, I get the question a lot. Social Security, uh, uh, the way that it's taxed. Can affect uh, whether you need to file or not. Um, But roughly, let's say if you are a single person and you're under sixty-five, about ten thousand bucks worth of taxable income. Uh, If you're married filing joint, twenty thousand dollars, roughly. If you don't have taxable income greater than that, but and and this is
2: I got a question from a student yesterday about uh, filing, and um, and what I said to her is she may not have to file, but she could be leaving money on the table because of her lower income being part-time and summer jobs that she might get a refund.
3: Exactly. Great, uh, great observation, because uh, a couple things may happen. They may have federal withholding or, or state mm-hmm. withholding on those W-2s, on those earnings. And even though they're not required to file, if you don't file, the IRS is not going to voluntarily send that money back to you. So you've got to file to get that money back. You may uh, the, the earned income credit is something that's very prevalent. If you are in a lower income situation, you're leaving that money on the table. If you don't file, you could potentially get it. There, there are retirement savers credits. There are a variety of credits that you, you could have, but you got to file. Uh, in order to, to to take advantage of those, um,
1: you know, you mentioned the earned income tax credit, and I thought I read something in the news recently about there's a little bit of extra diligence there, and so uh, if someone takes advantage of that, there there might be a slight delay as well.
3: There, there definitely could be that. That's one of the areas that uh, has been taken advantage of for years. So the IRS knows it, uh, and, and so they're doing everything they can to combat uh, that. And one of which is just kind of delaying the refund so that they can they can verify, and one of the things that uh, we as preparers have to do there's a due diligence checklist that we have to go through to verify that they are the, that the taxpayer is actually uh, allowed to get this credit uh, and if If somebody takes advantage of this and the IRS catches them they actually have the ability to to not let them have the credit for the next two years uh, if if it's been taken advantage of we 've seen that uh, here recently. Uh, Now, it's worth noting that uh, since the IRS is so interested in the earned income tax credit because it's so taken advantage of, it's a potential audit issue. Um, so just kind of know that. Now I'm not saying you shouldn't take it if you if you do it, but just know that you have additional exposure. In my opinion, if you do take the credit.
2: So speaking of audits, um, in your experience, what will throw up a red flag for the IRS? Uh,
3: the biggest is, uh, in my opinion, is omission of income. Well, either not filing a return, uh, that they tend to, to want to come and look at your <laughs> at your whole uh, tax picture. But if you omit income. Uh, the IRS really, really does not like that. Uh, they don't like you fudging on deductions, but they really don't like it when you, when you uh, omit income. So if you you know leave off a, a stock sale, we leave off any type of income. Uh, a big one uh, recently that has been a question is the Deepwater Horizon settlement payments. A lot of people don't think that's taxable income, so people have not wanted to report it. Well, there's a great likelihood you're going to get audited if you don't report it, and it is most likely taxable income to you.
1: We need to take a quick break. When we get back, we've got some calls lined up and uh, we've still got some open phone lines. So we're talking taxes and personal finance questions on Money Talks this morning. Give us a call if you'd like to join the conversation at one eight seven seven mpb ring Our phone number is one 672 7464 You can email the show money at mpbonline.org. We'll talk to Jim and Donald in June after this break.
4: is mpb music radio from classical to bluegrass and everything in between mpb music radio has a sound for every ear for information on where to find mpb music radio visit mpbonline.org
1: aaron who's called in from arkansas mary in ocean springs marlou is on the line in jackson
5: rachel is in clarksdale
4: at mpb think radio we are everywhere
1: you want to go Sardis, Henleyville, Rewind, Jackson, Oxford, Oxford, Ocean Springs, Meridian, Hattiesburg, and we're going to Memphis. So go anywhere you want. We'll be right there with you.
6: MPB Think Radio, where Mississippi is our mission.
7: What's needed to help stop the huge increase of gun violence in troubled Chicago neighborhoods? Some teens say mentors and role models who care.
0: You don't got nobody trying to show you. You know what I'm saying? You never had nobody to tell you. Most people out there, all they know is the corner. All they know is the block.
7: I'm Audie Cornish. Advice from young people in juvenile detention on how to combat shootings. Later on All Things Considered from NPR News.
0: Today at 4 on NPP Think Radio. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio.
7: Call 1-877-MPB-RING.
0: That's 877-672-7464.
7: Or email money at mpbonline.org.
0: This is MPB Think Radio. this is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Kevin
1: Farrell here with Nancy Lodford anderson and Chris Burford. Our guest today, CPA J.R. Armstrong, a partner at May & Company in Vicksburg. J.R. is here to help us out with tax questions this morning. Uh, we've got some callers on the line, so let's hop right into things, beginning with Jim in Jackson. Hello, Jim. You're on the air. Go ahead.
6: Good morning. What are the rules for taking a, a charitable tax deduction for property that I donate to my church for a youth option?
3: Uh, great, great question. Uh, it, it really kind of depends, uh, and, and that's the answer a lot of times in the tax world. Is it depends uh, if you if you have held the property for longer than a year, so it becomes a long-term capital gain property, uh, and you make the donation, then you you get a donation at the fair market value of the property. If you have held it less than a year, uh, it's a short-term capital gain property, and you don't get the fair market value. You get uh, your your basis in the property essentially all right uh, Jim did that answer your question
2: so let Thank me just you very much. Uh, let me ask this question because we're talking about uh, property versus stock if it's shares of stock and we donate shares of stock it's easy for us to look up pricing and look at the average pricing on that day but with a piece of property it's not priced every day how do you do that and uh, again what would cause the IRS to throw
3: that out? Yeah, uh, great question. In order to properly take that deduction, you really need a uh, an appraisal on the piece of property. Otherwise, uh, we, you really don't have a way to substantiate the, the, the true value of the property. And depending on uh, the how much the donation is, uh, there are requirements for sending in items to the IRS, sending in appraisals, additional forms, things of that nature. But when you get ready to, do, to donate that property, I would say having a, uh, a good, qualified, timely appraisal uh, would be what what you would use
1: let's go next Uh, another caller from jackson donald's on the line good morning donald
6: good morning and thanks for taking my call i'm going to ask a question and then hang up and wait for your answer okay does does pet care uh qualify as a tax deductible thank you
3: Thanks for the call. I get this question uh, quite a bit, and unfortunately, Uncle Sam does not allow a deduction.
2: But there are children.
3: I I wish that we could. Uh, I'm kind of glad we can't because my wife would want more uh, (laughs) (laughs) in the name of tax savings. But uh, unfortunately,
1: no. We're uh, on Tax Day on Money Talks looking for your tax questions uh, for our guest, J.R. Armstrong, a partner at May & Company in Vicksburg. Uh, give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring Our phone number is one 672 7464 Moving along next, we've got June in Bridgeland. Good morning, June. Go ahead, please.
5: Uh, good morning. I was just calling to ask about um, letters from the IRS. I received several letters saying that I owe different amounts, and we have paid off our 2015 taxes, and this is our 2015 taxes. And when I called, the IRS representative always says, oh, you have a zero balance. Do you think this could be uh, because of some kind of identity theft? I- I'm not sure why uh, I would be getting these
3: letters. It, uh, part of what we see uh, oftentimes is uh, correspondence from the IRS and payments kind of pass like ships in the night. It takes the IRS uh, quite a while to, to process letters and then for them to get to you. So what what part of your issue could be is you could have paid the taxes off, but the letter was already in process and, and it, it got to you, and now uh, they've received and, and uh, processed your payment, so you may have a zero balance. Uh, I would say definitely uh, continue to follow up. If you continue to get letters, uh, one one big problem uh, that clients uh, tend to run into is they get a letter from the IRS and they just don't address it in any shape, form, or fashion. Uh, and they will send a letter, mm-hmm. right? They're not going to call call Co- you. Correct. They they will send a they will send a letter saying that, that you owe money. Uh, and that's you know talking about the the phishing schemes and everything that mm-hmm. the uh, that's going on right now. Uh, the, they will call you and say, "Oh, you owe uh, ten thousand dollars. Go get some iTunes gift cards and send it to me." Well, the IRS is not going to do that. They will send you a letter. Uh, so so back to to your question, June, I would say it, there's a great likelihood that that everything is completely kosher, but continue to follow up on letters. All right. Uh, th- Thank you. All right. Uh, thanks for the call.
1: Let's move next. We've got uh, Rena and Magnolia on the line. Go ahead. You're up next.
5: Good morning. Good morning. Um, I was just wondering, I, I don't know whether I should file taxes or not. I didn't work at all this year, but I did our last year. I did uh, receive six hundred a month from my property in Louisiana that I rent. I'm renting to own, but I don't have no W two or nothing. And I was just wondering, should I file? Oh.
3: In that situation, I would say you probably need to go and talk to a to a CPA or, or somebody to make sure. Uh, not really even if you don't meet the filing requirement, you may want to file in that situation. I'll, I'll put it to you that way. There may be a situation where you would want to file, and I've got a number of these clients that every year they bring their information to me, and we hadn't filed a tax return form in 10 years, but I just look at it to see, do we need to file that tax return? Right,
5: okay. So just go see a CPA or H&R block or something
3: like that? That's right, I would I would run it up there and just say, hey, look, do I need to file this? And, and get them to look at your whole situation, uh, just to make sure you're not uh, either missing the filing requirement or missing an opportunity. Okay.
2: Uh, let me um, ask you. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go in. Uh, I was just going to ask about 1099s, and uh, there is a limit, a dollar limit, where if you've done contract work, then that uh, person paying you has to send you a 1099. If you're not incorporated, what is that limit?
3: Yeah. The, the general rule is if you are now, this doesn't really apply to individuals. Into Indiv- this, this gets confused quite often. Uh, if IJ if or Armstrong pay my handyman six hundred dollars I don't have to send him a 1099 because I'm not in it's not for business purposes but if may and company pays that same gentleman six hundred dollars and it's uh, six hundred dollars' is a threshold and it's for services it's not just for contract labor so if if MPB pays me six hundred dollars to for being on on this uh, uh, mm-hmm. program, then you're probably going to give me a 10.99, even though it's not technically contract labor. It's a service that is provided. So are
2: they doing that, and we're not getting paid? <laughs> for us? Uh,
3: I haven't seen anything. <laughs> <No. last> <laughs> uh, Sam, do we need to talk about our, our yeah, revenues? Yeah, really. You don't need today, no. No. Okay. <laughs> All
1: right, uh, we've got next on the line uh, David, who's called in with a question for us this morning. Go ahead, David.
6: Hey there. I'm calling about a situation of actually not me, a person that I know. Works for someone, and they provide him housing and utilities and everything, and they pay him a small amount of money. makes like seventy two hundred dollars a year, and they give him a ten ninety nine. And the person that prepared his taxes, you know, he's paying taxes on that, and that always seems strange to me. Is that does that sound on the level? If that's his total income.
3: To to answer the question, I that that would seem to need a little bit more. Is that a depend? Or something uh, yeah, like that? <laughs> uh, that that doesn't sound exactly uh, kosher to me. Uh, but I, the situation could could be different. But I
6: meant to tell you, he's a single individual, fifty years old. Yeah.
3: No well, or ordinarily, I mean, anything that your employer pays uh, on your behalf. So if, if & Company were to provide me with a company car and a, and a house and uh, and they're not doing that, unfortunately. But uh, if they were were to do that, generally speaking, that's part of your compensation in some shape, form, or fashion. Mm-hmm. E- even though okay. it's not cash payments for you, uh, the kind of the general rule is it's income unless it's a specifically excluded.
6: Okay. So, what is the uh, an individual should file if they make what amounts?
3: Uh, well, okay. it, if he's fifty okay. years old, uh, uh, and well, if well, number one, it, you said he's getting a ten ninety nine on that income right okay if he's getting a 1099 and it's over four hundred dollars he should have to file because he would owe self-employment tax so that's one of those situations where somebody may earn less than the than the filing threshold but they may have to file because they may owe another type of tax which is Social Security Mm -hmm. Medicare yeah
6: okay well let me ask you another thing I thought of too is that he does not have any health insurance either and I wondered if maybe that's the penalty for not having health insurance because last year he had to pay like seven hundred
3: dollars well, it, great point. I mean, all of a sudden, uh, there's there's another reason to, to potentially have to file if they're getting a, a subsidy from the exchange, or or you know maybe they would owe uh, the penalty for not having health insurance. Uh, it sounds like uh, your friend should probably engage somebody to to help navigate that situation. It's got a there are a lot of moving parts in that uh, particular set of circumstances.
6: I appreciate your help, man. Thank you
3: very much. Thanks, David, for your call.
1: Looks like we've got some more calls on the line, so let's press on. We're going next to Wiggins. Janice has called in today. Good morning, Janice. Good
5: morning. Hello? Yeah, go ahead. Um, The difference between a CPA
3: and an accountant? A CPA, uh, all it is is someone that's passed a test, (laughs) if you will, a pretty rigorous four-part test. Uh, but you have to have, in order to, to be a CPA in the state of Mississippi, you have to have 150 credit hours and certain core classes, and then you, you go and you take the CPA exam, uh, which didn't, so at that point uh, they, well, they call it the can't pass again, cause most of us couldn't, couldn't do it again, uh, at this junction. But, but that is really the difference. So, uh, at CPA firms, uh, nationwide, you've got CPAs and then you've got non-CPA, uh, people who are still doing similar work, but just, they're not certified, all right, Janice. Okay. That-
5: but an accountant, there's something about confidentiality, or or something. that, that a an accountant? It, uh, Good question. Asking the
3: difference. Okay, I, so I'm governed by the State Board of Accountancy. Uh, if if I if you come to me and I violate your confidentiality, uh, uh, Mr. Ransom Jones is going to come down and, and have a discussion with me, and I could potentially lose my license. An, an accountant, a non-licensed accountant, is not bound by any governing board. So there's there's no standards for them. They, so all of a sudden, your information, there's nobody to hold them accountable.
5: And if the CPA is, if, I mean, confidential or
3: what? If a CPA is not confidential, two things are going to happen. They're probably going to lose their license, and they're going to go out of business mm-hmm. very quickly.
1: All right, uh, Janice, thanks for your call. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. It's tax day. We're visiting with CPA J.R. Armstrong, a partner at May & Company in Vicksburg, who's answering some tax questions. We can still take a personal finance question as well, and we've got some open phone lines. The number is one mpb ring Our phone number is one 672 7464 You can email the show money at mpbonline.org. Let's go to Natchez for our next caller. Ben is on the line. Good morning, Ben
8: morning thank you for taking my call sure my question is I'm 24 and still on my father's health insurance car insurance and he pays my cell phone bill and I think he would classify me as a dependent and I would classify myself as an independent (laughs) and I was wondering how should I make that distinction I'm gonna hang up and let you answer my
3: question thanks great great question the general rule is if you're if you're over the age of 24 uh, there's a there really about nine questions on the the questionnaire is uh, for are you a dependent? There are about four that uh, qualify you as a qualifying child. You're over the age of 24, so you're no longer a qualifying child. Now you may be a qualifying uh, de- uh, relative. Uh, th- what will happen is if you had gross income of four thousand and fifty dollars or more, uh, then r- regardless of the situation, you do not qualify as your dad's dependent. You are you you will claim your own dependency ex- exemption. If you have uh, less than four thousand bucks, four thousand fifty bucks, then there's a, a likelihood that your dad could claim you. All right, uh, let's uh, go one more call before the
1: next break, and it's to Brandon in Blue Springs. Go ahead, please. Uh, good morning.
9: Uh, I've had a question. Um, my wife has student loans from many years ago, and she only works part time sporadically. Uh, I have worked full time the whole year. Uh, last year, we filed jointly, and they took our refund and applied it to her student loans. So, would it be better this year to file separately, and then you know her refund would go to her student loans, and I could keep my refund?
3: Great question. I don't really know the answer to that right off right offhand. I'd have to research that. Uh, there's um, there are some provisions that may. Um affect you, and I don't know if uh, if innocent spouse relief is one of those, but uh, that's one of those questions where you really need to sit down with somebody and, and have them look at your specific situation. And it, I mean, if you were to come to me, I mean, what we do is we, we would run it both ways and, and determine what are the tax ramifications to you, and then also try to determine are you going to get that tax refund or not.
4: Yeah, and I would say this, Brent, I, I, honestly, I would, you and your wife, sit down and you need to look at the outstanding balance hold on her student loan, because uh, if you pay just you know, you pay a little bit. There could be interest churning, uh, churning on it. And next thing you know, if you say, well, we maybe could pay this off in seven years and it turns into a 20- 20 or 25-year deal, they're going to continue to get that, her refund. Even if she might even go back to work full-time, they're going to get it. So just just think about that. It's, you know, be maybe might talk about being a little bit more, pro, more proactive in it. At least you know where you stand.
1: All right, Brandon, okay. thanks for your call. Need to take another quick break. When we get back, we've got some more tax questions on the line, but we do have some open phone lines for your question. The number is 1-877-MPB-RING. Our phone number is 1-877-672-7464. Send an email to money at mpbonline.org. We'll be back with more of the show after this.
0: any member of MPB Think Radio, we appreciate your support of our programs. To become a sustainer, go to mpbonline.org.
7: What's needed to help stop the huge increase of gun violence in troubled Chicago neighborhoods? Some teens say mentors and role models who care.
0: You don't got nobody trying to show you. You know what I'm saying? You never had nobody to tell you. Most people out there, all they know is the
7: corner. All they know is the block. I'm Audi Cornish. Advice from young people in juvenile detention on how to combat shootings. Later on all things considered from NPR News. Today at
0: 4 on MPB Think Radio. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio.
7: Call one 877 mpb Ring.
0: That's 877 672 7464 Or
7: email money at MPBonline.org.
0: This is MPB Think Radio.
7: Money.
1: on MPB Think Radio. I'm Kevin Farrell here with Nancy Lotter Janderson, Associate Professor of Finance at Mississippi College and President of New Perspectives and Chris Burford, Credit Counselor and Educator for Clearpoint Credit Counseling Solutions. It's tax day on the program as we're visiting with CPA J.R. Armstrong, a partner at May & Company in Vicksburg. J.R. is helping us out with some tax questions. Uh, we're also, if you have them, taking your personal finance questions as we do each Tuesday. The number is 1-877-MPB-RING. Our phone number is one 877 Seven seven six seven two seven four six four. 672 7464 You can email the show money at mpbonline.org. Back to the phones in just a moment. But well, we do have an a email question here that says, we have four students who sing in our church choir and get paid a scholarship stipend each week by the church. They each received a 1099. Why do they have to pay tax on
3: a scholarship? It's a church that's providing them. Mm-hmm. The- a church choir, and it says a scholarship stipend. Ordinarily, when you get scholarships for, um, I mean, college tuition, those, those are excluded. Uh, I don't, I don't know if there's a specific exclusion for a church providing a stipend or a scholarship in that s- a situation. Again, it's income unless it's specifically excluded uh, by by the tax code, and I'm not aware of a particular exclusion for that type of income.
1: But you're right, income is income in this case. Uh,
3: that would be my suspicion. Okay. Uh let's go back to the
1: phones. Charles has called in this morning. Good morning, Charles. You're up next. Go ahead. Good
6: morning. The question I have is what I uh, recently sold a home and uh it owned it less than two years, so I'm gonna have to pay a capital gains. What comes <laughs> off of the top line? In other words, fees or can you do those come off, you know, like realtor fees?
3: Absolutely. So, uh, the the first thing, I mean, if you've got, you have to have a gain in order to to pay the the tax on it. Just just kind of keep that in mind. You're not uh, you're not worried about the the top line, but really kind of the bottom line. So uh, so once you you know you got your sales price less what you paid for it less renovations, uh, any money that you put into the house you would take that off. Uh, definitely, realtors' fees on the on the front end and the back end uh, would would reduce that gain on sale. Fantastic.
9: That's that's good news.
3: All right. Glad we could help make your day,
1: Charles. Uh, Let's continue on. Next, we've got uh, Donna in Canton. Good morning, Donna. Go ahead.
5: Good morning. We have um, property, several acres, with our home and barn and the the facilities there. And I know if I sell the entire place, it's, it's my home and I don't have to pay tax on it. But if we just sell a piece of the property, do I have to pay tax on that?
3: you would you would have have to figure out what the the gain or loss is uh at that point so uh the exclusion for the gain on uh, on sale of principal residence is limited to your house uh so anything if you were to to section off and and sell the back 40 then you'd have to figure out what what did you pay for the back 40 which is at times difficult especially if you if it was one big transaction uh you know where you kind of bought it all at the same time but that's the the mechanics of it you'd figure out okay what did i pay for the for for what i'm selling uh, and you would okay. have a taxable event at that point.
5: Okay. Thank you very much. I uh-huh. appreciate it.
1: Thanks, Donna, for your call. Uh, just a quick question. We talked about April 18th being the deadline this year. Um, for federal, do the states mirror that and, and do the same, or is the state still April 15th?
3: Uh, the the state, It depends on which state you're, you're in. Some of the states have different uh, different deadlines, but the uh, Mississippi will follow. All right. Uh, back to the phone lines we go, and we're off to
1: Brandon. Chad has called in today. Good morning, Chad. Good
3: morning. Uh I have a question
6: in regards to the EIT credit. Uh, I think last year I made somewhere close to 70000 and I did not qualify for the EIT credit. I have four children, and uh, my wife works part-time, but we filed, we filed jointly. Um, I know from year to year, at some point in time, that cap uh, raises. I did not know if you knew off the top of your head uh, what the cap for this fiscal filing season would be. Yeah, for
3: for, four children. for, for 2016, uh, your, for a married filing joint, the the top of the threshold is fifty three thousand five hundred five.
9: Well, that kind
3: of answers my question. Yeah, <laughs> probably not going to get it this year. Um, uh, and and that, that's uh, whether you have three kids or, or thirty kids, it, it kind of tops out at that particular level.
1: All righty, Chad. Uh, thanks, well, thanks for the call. Let's uh, move on next. We've got uh, Steve in Vicksburg. Good morning, Steve. Go ahead. Oh,
9: uh, yeah. I have a question about what I just received from my daughter's college. She's got a full scholarship, so I think we have to pay it yet. Uh, is that money possible?
3: Steve, can you go back through that again? I'm sorry, you were breaking up a little bit and I missed uh, a part of it there.
9: Uh, what I've got is a letter from the school. I forget if it's a 1099 or 1098, but it's for a scholarship that she received and it actually represents, looks like, the whole of the last fall and this spring because it's, it's definitely lifting more than she's actually received. But bottom line is, are, is scholarship money uh, taxable? Uh,
3: uh, excellent question. So it, assuming this is a college, uh, and I think that's, that's what I heard there, uh, Yeah. so the colleges will send out uh, a form that will have the amount of tuition that was billed, the amount of tuition that was paid and then the amount of scholarships or grants that were received. Uh, and that helps you as, the, as the, the the parent try to figure out, you know, if, am I eligible for any credits uh, or anything of that nature. Uh, in that situation, that scholarship is not taxable uh, to, to your daughter or, or to you.
9: It is not taxable, so the key is to figure out, am I eligible for a credit?
3: It, that's right. So, you know, so now uh, there's a new requirement on, on uh, preparers uh, there's there are a variety of education credits that are available uh in order for me to take one of these education credits. I really need this form uh for you know you to bring it in so it 's got all this pertinent data uh out there but uh let 's say i mean there are situations where there 'll be a scholarship number eighteen thousand dollars and it far outweighs the tuition, even in that situation that's not taxable income to you
9: okay uh for the credit is there an income cutoff for the credit?
3: There are the, yes, there are a variety of income uh, thresholds, and for the the most uh, it, for the first four years of college, uh, there's uh, what's called the American Opportunity Credit. Uh, the end of that threshold is about 180 thousand bucks. So if you have earnings up to 180 thousand, and uh, it's the first four years of college, then there's a pretty good credit that's potentially available. So
2: that lets mm-hmm. in a lot of people. It really then. does. Yeah.
3: It's a it's a substantial credit. I mean it uh, it. Uh, As, it
9: she got one hundred and forty-two thousand for four years. The question was pertaining more to my wife and I, married filing jointly. In order for there to be an income credit, is there a cutoff on our income?
3: Yes, that that one hundred eighty. That is the cutoff on your income. Now, uh, it you will have. So, if you got a let's say you got a full ride uh, by covered by scholarship, you don't get to uh, a credit. It's only on what you paid uh, over and above the scholarship money. Oh, I say, gotcha! Yeah, yep. <laughs> All right. Okay, can't get
9: something for nothing.
3: <laughs> All right, Steve. Uh, thanks for your call.
1: This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. We're visiting today with CPA J.R. Armstrong, a partner at May and Company in Vicksburg. He's been helping with a lot of varied tax questions. We still have some open phone lines, and also we look for any personal finance questions that you have each week. The number to call is one eight seven seven MPB Ring. Our phone number is one eight seven seven. 672 send an email to money at mpbonline.org we've got jim and brandon on the phone good morning jim go ahead please hey
6: thank you i appreciate you taking my call uh the question i have relates to the fact that i'm at an age where i take the required minimum distribution from my IRAs every year uh when i was employed i had a 401k part of that money was after tax money the rest was pre-tax so when i rolled it into an ira a traditional IRA, uh, I still had some money in there that was uh, after-tax money. Uh, I should have at that time separated those when I had a chance, but I understand that now I don't have a way of really separating it. I do know how to calculate the part of the RMD I take that is non-taxable, but what I'm wondering is this. I thought I had seen something some time ago that said that there was a law or some new thing that had come out. That would allow a person to separate those monies, uh, so that uh, well, for me, it would make it simple for me to calculate the traditional hour uh, uh, the RMD out of my traditionals, uh, or do I have to spend the rest of my life doing that?
3: <laughs> <laughs> doing that calculation? Well, I can imagine the calculation is a little arduous. Uh, that that question's a little bit out of my wheelhouse, to be honest with you. Uh, I would say that's more of a uh, of a finance type question versus a tax question, I could certainly try to look up the answer and, and I'd be happy to, to discuss it with you. But whoever uh, is administering uh, your IRA, I would have that discussion with them to see, is this a possibility uh, to do this?
2: And I'm surprised that they, um, the custodian allowed both pre-tax and after-tax money to go into the same account. Typically, when we roll over IRAs and we have funds in there that have already been taxed, um, those are sent out separately and you know sent out as a check directly to the owner of that ira and only the tax deferred portion comes over all right uh yeah, thank
6: doing it one way or the other and i chose this option thinking it would be a way for me to protect the money and keep myself from spending it you know inadvertently or whatever and uh uh, didn't see. Uh, you know, hindsight is is something I wish I'd had at that
2: time. Can I ask? Uh, let me ask this question: Who's your custodian on that account right now?
6: Uh, Fidelity.
2: All right, call Fidelity and just ask the question. What you know? What you're asking us is: Will they go back and split that account into two pieces?
6: Okay. And
2: okay. Uh, I don't know if they will, but you can certainly ask. And um, I don't know whose responsibility it is for determining what piece was. Pre-tax and what was after-tax?
0: Uh-huh.
6: Well, that the the uh, the the amount, the dollar amount that was uh, after-tax remains the same, except for each year in which I take an RMD. The RMD can include pre and after. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, and there's a little formula, and I, I, I have all of that in front of me where I could do that calculation. But I figure maybe ten or fifteen years from now, man, I may not feel like booing with that. So I'm <laughs> I'm trying to cut my corners, but I did have that option at that time to uh, to make that that separation
2: well talk to fidelity and see if they will allow you to back it out
6: Okay, okay and i have done it twice i've done a, i've done an rmd twice of course that would entail having had that money so i don't know if that makes a, a difference and as i'm sure you know what anybody else that might be listed that has this issue the uh, dollar amount of the pre the uh, after tax amount does not change except when you take the, uh, the RMD each year, it goes down X dollars. Uh, there's no increase or decrease in it other than that. So, so I are, your, let me ask part. this
2: question. Are you um, Are you then, you say you're doing a calculation, so I'm assuming that's based on the percentage that's after-tax versus the percentage that it's pre-tax? It is. Okay. And,
6: uh, what I'm doing is uh, the, the first time I had the taxes done, I had a CPA do it, uh, then I saw how it was done, how that number is, has come about, which is a little different from what I would have thought at first, and I did it myself this past time. So uh, I may go back to the CPA or I may do it myself again, but... Uh, I'm uh, right now trying to figure out a, a way to how to permanently get out of that.
2: <laughs> well, good luck with it. All right, yeah, Jim. I appreciate it.
1: Thanks for your call. We do take one final break this hour. We'll make it back. We're going to wrap up Money Talks. We're talking taxes today with J.R. Armstrong, a partner at May & Company in Vicksburg. He's a CPA there. Uh, so we've got some open phone lines, So It's still time to call in your tax question at 1-877-MPB-RING. It's one 877 672 7464. Send an email to money at mpbonline.org. We've got Wesley and Chris on the line. We'll get to those questions right after this break.
0: Informative MPB news stories to local shows you love, up-to-date severe weather info, and a state and worldwide reach telling the story of Mississippi. You're listening to MPB Think Radio. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. To call the show, dial 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. Or email money at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio. Welcome back to
1: Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Nancy Locker-Janderson and Chris Burford. Our guest today in studio, CPA J.R. Armstrong, a partner at May & Company in Vicksburg. We've been talking taxes today. J.R. has fielded a variety of different questions. We certainly appreciate his expertise on the show this morning. Back to the phone lines we go. We start again with Wesley in Jackson. Go ahead, Wesley.
4: Uh, yes, uh, I've got two questions. I'll, I'll ask them now. I'll,
6: I'll hang up and listen. Um, I, I, I heard, I just had a kid, so I recently, uh, I, you know, I'm hearing things like, uh, you know, he's got to be six months old within that year to be able to claim him that year. Of course, he was six months old, and granted, it was at the end of December when he turned six months old, but he is, uh, I want to know whether or not he's, I, I can claim him, you know, on.
3: Tax. Yeah, as long as uh, the the determining date there, if the child was born by December 31st uh, at midnight uh, the the prior year, so he doesn't have to be six months old. He does not have to be six months old. He uh, they can be uh, uh, brand new newborn sitting in mom's arms uh, when the cro- can we time it that well? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so no, you, you should get to to claim that that exemption. All right, Wesley, do you have another question? Uh, yes, the
6: other question is, I have rental property in Alabama. Um, I don't really get any money off of it. Really, the rent really just pays the mortgage. So, you know, I, I'm wondering if that's claimable as
3: a loss. Great question. Uh, rental income—that's uh, another one of it depends. So, uh, uh, what happens with rental income is it's passive income to you. Depends on how much money uh, you make. If we're filing married filing joint, married filing separate, single, but. Uh, typically, the typical rule with uh, passive losses is they tend to be suspended uh, once you reach a certain income threshold. If you make, uh, I think the, I think the number. Don't quote me here, but married filing joint. I believe the number is $100,000 or more. Uh, and you have a rental loss, it tends to be suspended unless you have other uh, passive income uh, to offset uh, that particular loss. So
2: meaning it doesn't go against your W-2 income. Correct. It, it just goes against passive, the rental
3: uh, income. That, that's right.
2: And if you have rental property, don't you also get to depreciate the
3: structures? You get to depreciate the the asset, whatever, uh, you know, building, land improvements, things of yeah, that nature. But not the land. Uh, not the land, not the land. But if you have land improvements, roads, uh, wells, uh, ditches, or whatever, uh, okay. uh, you, you may be able to uh, to depreciate those uh, to, to come up with what your your net loss is. Now, the loss, you don't lose the loss uh, if, if it is suspended. It simply carries over until you either have passive income that it would offset uh, or you dispose of the property. So if you've got a $20,000 suspended loss, you sell the property, then you get to take the loss for the most part. All right,
1: Wesley, thanks for that call. Let's move on next. We've got uh, Chris in Flowood. Good morning, Chris. Go ahead.
5: Hey, good morning. I have a question about married filing jointly versus married filing separately. Um, I was told by the, the holder of my student loans that I'm applying for um, the public servant uh, repayment program, and they told me that uh, if I if I do this as I have traditionally, you know, been married filing jointly, my payment would be somewhere around $800. But if I change to married filing separately, that would drop down to about 150 so I'm wondering are, are there disadvantages other that I don't know of about filing
3: separately there potentially are uh, so when you get a, a situation where there are, there are outside uh, intangibles yeah. like the student loan thing it's really worth running the numbers to see uh, does it make sense to file jointly or separately because there can there often is I mean there there almost always is a tax differential typically married filing jointly uh, provides a better tax result but you kind of, well, I would look at it in the, the framework of your entire picture. You know, if income based repayment uh, and we need that lower payment uh, on your student loans, if that is more important, then you just kind of have to weigh. You know, is it worth paying a little bit more tax potentially uh, versus you know having a uh, a little bit less payment? Uh, certainly, something I would talk with my CPA about before they filed. Uh, Normal or accountant or whoever, uh, they can run the numbers either way and tell you what the difference would be, and then we just make an informed decision at that point.
5: Sure. Well, I have a great CPA, so I'm going to be looking forward to asking.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would definitely make sure on the front end to, to discuss that with them because ordinarily you have to put it into your program a certain way for it to be able to calculate the numbers correctly for you. Mm-hmm.
5: Okay, great. Thank you so much. Yes,
3: Thanks, sir. Chris, for your call. Let's uh, get
1: one final call in and another Chris in Riley. Good morning. Go mm-hmm. ahead, please.
5: Hey, I have a quick question.
8: Um, I did a little bit of job hopping this year, and the company that I went through to do my taxes, they said if you do not have every single W-2 from every company that you worked for, that they will not release your tax return. And only one, I believe there's three jobs that did not tax. They paid straight out either cash or personal checks. And only one of those had, took my information to where they would file taxes but they did not tax it at
3: all okay uh, interesting question a lot of dynamics there so if you get a w-2 uh, if you're you're a, a traditional employee where you filled out all the paperwork and they withhold federal and, and uh, state taxes and FICA uh, Social Security and Medicare taxes that the IRS matches that w-2 form on your tax return to what is provided to them by the employer so if you file your return and, and those two items don't match your refund will be held up because uh, the again, kind of going back to what we talked about earlier, the, uh, the the identity theft issue. One of the the areas that people are that unscrupulous characters are focusing on is claiming a, a big federal withholding. So the IRS, when they realize what we've got in our system doesn't agree to what uh, the taxpayer has filed, then they hold that refund and try to figure out what the heck is going on. So that's kind okay. of one one part of that. The other part, the cash payments, the contract labor type payments, um, the IRS, if no 1099 was issued to you, there's nothing for them to try to match up with. So it wouldn't really hold your refund up uh, right. necessarily. Now, one one thing I want to mention, though, you, you mentioned the cash payments, even though this is a often misconstrued, if, you, if an employer pays you or, or somebody pays you in cash, it's still taxable income to you, regardless right. of, you know, whether they file a 1099 or not. Uh, that is still your obligation to pay tax on it.
8: Right. So they will hold out money from what I did not pay from what I what I earned.
3: Uh, no, the you, the IRS would not. Would in in that uh, situation, if you've got 1099 or cash payments, uh, when you filed your return, you would pay it in at that point.
8: Okay. Thank you so much. Yeah. I listen all the time, and I love you guys.
1: All right. Thanks for the all call, right. Chris. Uh, just a quick follow-up. So you say that the idea about the cash, though, so obviously, if you are in a situation where you're getting paid cash for a number of different things, it's, incum- it's incumbent upon you to keep records of yourself in case you don't get a 1099 because the IRS is still expecting you to report that income. Correct.
3: Uh, so the the employer, the, the whoever's paying you the money, uh, oftentimes may be obligated to, to file a 1099. There are penalties if they don't. But a lot of people still choose not to for whatever reason. Uh if you don't receive a 1099 or if you receive a 1099 that's less than what you actually received for some reason, it's it's your responsibility uh to report your income. It's not the employ you know, the employer doesn't have any skin in the game in that situation. And so if someone has not ac- has not had access
1: to their W2 or their 1099, when should they should you contact your employer or you you know say the 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 um the, the company that you've got your, your uh, um, mutual fund with? Yeah, if,
3: if you're looking for, uh, if if you have worked for someone and you've gotten payments, and uh, again, today being the deadline for W-2s and 1099s, if you don't have those within about a week's time, I would say that, that's plenty of time uh, for the Postal Service to make the rounds. I would contact those, the employers, the, the people who paid you to get those forms. Uh, if they don't, if for, for whatever reason, if they don't give you a, a W-2 and you're due one, there is a form, an IRS form that you can fill out and complete with your tax return to submit. Uh, if need be. I've never had to do one of those, but Mm. There is a mechanism. Very good. That's going to wrap us up for today. Money
1: Talks is a production of MPB Think Radio, funded in part by generous financial support from you, our listeners. If you need to hear today's show or previous show, one way you can find it is by going to mpbonline.org slash moneytalks. Our show is produced by Sam Wells. Our call screener today was Java Chapman. So for Nancy Lodridge-Anderson and Chris Burford and our guest J.R. Armstrong, I'm Kevin Farrell. Stay tuned. Up next, it's In Legal Terms, followed by Readily Speaking at 11. We'll be back next Tuesday at 9.00 for another Money Talks, only on MPB Think Radio.